What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the You Know Ball Podcast. I am your host, Trill Bro Dude, and today we talked all about Jay Crowder slop. So, look, when the 90th best player in the NBA forces a trade, you got to do at least an hour of content on that slop because we are absolute sickos here at the You Know Ball Podcast. But had a great time talking with Jason Timperley, a longtime Sixers fan, a fan of the process, a salary cap enthusiast, and we talked about the Sixers potentially trading for Jay Crowder. We talked about what it would take to get Jay Crowder, who we would give up, and what the trade market for Jay Crowder could look like around the NBA with other teams like the Miami Heat and the Dallas Mavericks and all of that stuff. So we talked about that mostly on this podcast. Jason is one of the top subscribers to the You Know Ball Patreon. He is a head hog. And there are plenty of those. Now I am absolutely blown away by everyone's support on the Patreon. We're almost at $1,000 a month, almost 150 subscribers. It's absolutely crazy. And I could not thank you enough for this. I need to give a quick shout out to all of the head hogs on the You Know Ball Patreon, including Jason. So not only do we have Jason on there, we also have RJ Spargo. We also have Anthony DePaul. We also have Brandon from New Jersey. Our latest new head hog, Chase. Thank you, Chase, for subscribing this week. We have John Shields. We have Shrek, and we have Tigram. So thank you to everyone who has signed up for the top tier on the Patreon. Thank you to everyone who signed up for the Patreon in general. I cannot thank you enough. If you want to hear these episodes early, you want to watch live streams of them. If you want to get that extra bonus episode every week of You Know Ball that we only share a preview of for the free subscribers, then please, please, please sign up for the You Know Ball Patreon. We have the Discord. We have extra content. We have all types of stuff planned for there. So please go subscribe if you can. It actually has got to the point where I usually don't share personal news on the podcast, but I actually did quit my job the other day uh, due to the fact there were a lot of reasons. Uh, One, I think it's just best for my mental health and my life in general. Um, I've let jobs kind of bring me down in the past and I could see where this was going. And I feel like this is the time to kind of take a step back, focus on making content full-time and uh, hopefully get to the point where this can be my full-time job. I'll still be working in some capacity, but for now, you know, ball will be my main focus. And by the end of the Sixer season, the hope is that this can be my full-time job and I can do even more content, potentially launching a Twitch channel to do more live streams, potentially a second YouTube channel. We're almost at that mark on the Patreon right now. So I can do a short form YouTube content channel as well. So thank you so, so much for your support. Uh, If you can subscribe, please subscribe. I would really, really appreciate it. It would help support me and the podcast and and everything in between. So thank you so much to everyone who subscribed. Today's Sixers Media Day. So it's technically the first day. I'm very, very, very excited for the Sixers season and the NBA season in general. And once again, we'll have a lot more content moving forward. The more Patreon subscribers we get, the more content I can make. So Thank you again to Jason for coming on. Thank you again to everyone who has subscribed to the Patreon and thank you for your support in general. I really, really appreciate it. Enjoy. If you were listening to the audio version of this episode, you can listen to the song that we are about to play, Daniel Sohn's new song, Buddy, that just came out. It is the last single he drops before his new album comes out. Daniel's a friend of the pod. He's a great guy, a very talented musician. Please check out his stuff if you like indie music, if you like this clip. Before his album drops, you can hear it on Spotify, Apple Music, all of that. So please go support Daniel. The link is in the description. He will be back on the podcast at some point. He'll be back on the streams at some point. So before his album drops, when his album drops, please support him, follow him on social media, and support his music as well. So enjoy it. 
going on, guys? Welcome back to the You Know Ball podcast. As you can tell by my voice, it is the morning. It is 8 a.m. And the reason why is because my guest today is a head hog from the You Know Ball Patreon, a supporter of the podcast, a salary cap enthusiast, and he is live from Australia. We have Jason Timperley. What's going on, Jason? Hi, Trill. Thanks for having me. I had to pay my way onto this podcast by being a head hog, so uh, I'm glad... <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to be finally on. Yeah, well, if if you want to get on this podcast, guys, all you have to do is just bribe me on a monthly basis, and I'll let. Now, I've been meaning to have Jason on for a while because we've talked on Twitter. If, if people who listen to the podcast for a while know that I've mentioned you plenty of times, I always like your your ideas and your insight on trades and and everything related to slot. Um, around the NBA and we have some fresh slop. So we got to get right into it, which is an idea that actually like a guy who's been on our radar for a while, but an idea that you had a while back and you've kind of reiterated time and time again. And that is Jay Crowder who just basically is forcing his way off the Phoenix suns. They came to a mutual agreement that he would not come to training camp this year and he would be able to explore a trade off the team. As you posted, he even posted his own hype video about it, which is awesome. Uh, so why don't you get into why you think Crowder is such a good fit with the Sixers, and especially with their current roster circumstances right now? Yeah, well, um, firstly, at the start of the offseason, it seemed obvious that you know maybe – uh, Thibel particularly, and maybe Corkmaz might not be long for the team. So, you know, I looked through that. I've been poring over salary sheets, looking at the same list of salaries on Hoops and that for <laughs> 300 times, I'm, I'm sure, in the last few months. But, you know, the few names that stuck out, Crowder was one of them. And um, you know, we can we can talk about some of the other guys later. But um, everyone always talks about these big wings that you need to someone to defend the big wings, the Kawhis and the... Jason Tatum's and Jalen Browns and and say, oh, we we all need a three. They they don't exist. There there is hardly any threes around in the whole league. Like it's um everyone it's wants en- one. Endangered so, species. <laughs> yeah, it's the new unicorn. The, yeah, exactly. Um, so so look, he's he's a guy that um you know his defensive numbers on all the um you know, the advanced metrics, the defensive LeBron and all that stuff, whatever they're called. Like for some reason, he just rated through the roof. Um, so he's, a, and he can also play on offense as well, which is something that, that the Sixers need. So yeah, he was a guy that I thought, you know, he's not a star, a low volume, sort of low usage guy, but he does the dirty stuff and he's he's got that dog in him too. So <laughs> most important dog. <laughs> Most importantly, yeah. he has that dog in him. And and one of the things, so defensively, obviously, he's a positive. I think that, uh, like you said, having a big body guy. By the way, did, I don't know. Did you look up how tall Jay Crowder is? Because in my mind, I, how yeah. tall did you think Jay Crowder is? Yeah, like he's about he's about 6'6". Six, six, so he's like almost a carbon copy of Montrez Harrell and PJ Tucker. Yeah, like, I th- I thought um, that he, he was bigger. like yeah exactly. I thought he was like six eight. I had no idea he was only six six, which kind of blew my mind. But yeah, like you said, he plays up 
and he's he's definitely able to play that that four position and and as you said everyone keeps saying we need a three we need a small forward we need a guy who who is an a three and d athletic once again they don't exist threes are not really a thing anymore and and the idea behind getting Jay Crowder would be okay you go from last year your forward rotation being Tobias Harris who Played well in the playoffs. Obviously, everyone knows he's overpaid. He might be playing a little bit out of position this year if he plays the three. You had Matisse Seibel, who was fine in the regular season and virtually unplayable in the playoffs. You had Danny Green, who was really on his last legs uh, and is more of a shooting guard anyway and played the three, just kind of out of necessity. And you had George Niang, who is not a... Like, he's more of... Because he's so slow, he kind of has to play the five but that's not even ideally his real position. He plays the four. I think going from that to having the options of Tobias, Crowder, Tucker, and Daniel House as your four-man rotation, and then with potential, if any of those guys can't play, like Daniel House has had a on-and-off record of being good. Like one year he's really good, and then one year he kind of sucks. And the idea behind getting Crowder would essentially be this insurance policy for, okay, if Daniel House can't play, you at least have a third guy who can play some of the three, who can play the four, between him, Tobias, and Tucker, and then potentially DeAnthony Melton playing up a position and playing the three sometimes since he has that big wingspan. He's proven he can play the three in the past. I think that you would be able to figure out the three position, I wouldn't really worry about that. You know, everyone points to, well, Crowder's only played 20% of his time at the three since he got to Phoenix. Well, they have Michael Bridges. Like, he's, as as we've said, he played all 82 games last year. He's one of the only guys in the NBA that's actually a three and plays most of his minutes at the three. So I would look at this as kind of like giving you that extra three and D guy. He's not necessarily the greatest shooter, but he puts up a ton of threes. He's going to get you there volume-wise. He can guard the Giannis's. He can guard the Jimmy Butler's. He can guard guys that you don't want your star players to ever have to worry about because then they can preserve their th- themselves for offense. And he can put up a ton of threes. He makes the defense respect his shot. And he's kind of, like you said, in the mold of a P.J. Tucker. And between him, Tobias, and Tucker, and then potentially even Daniel House, I would feel a lot, lot better about the Sixers forward rotation because I think that's the weakest part of the team right now which is why I 100% think the Sixers should be interested in acquiring Jay Crowder yeah absolutely and and having Crowder in there allows you the flexibility of using Tucker at the small ball five more as well so um you know because you're covering those minutes at the four and the three um but yeah Crowder you know his steal numbers were insane last year I think he was like top 15 of the league in, in steal percentage. Like he gets his hands on the ball. He was oh, wow. um horrible offensive rebounder, but a, you know, a decent defensive rebounder. Um, but yeah, he big body, strong guy that can, yeah, can defend a lot. And yeah, for those really small threes, you, you're right. You've got Melton and house. If, uh, if you need to defend, say a, you know, a buddy healed playing the three or uh, Eric Gordon playing the three or something like that you can go with with one of these other guys yeah the large majority of threes as i've said before like i said there's probably five or six threes in the nba left like real threes 
And two of them are on the Boston Celtics, who are just going to be a bad matchup for us no matter what. As long as we have a drop coverage center with Joel Embiid, as long as we have James Harden as our second or third best player, depending on what happens with Tyrese Maxey, and we have Tyrese Maxey as one of our three best players, and Tobias Harris is like the fourth guy. Like I think the Celtics are just going to be a weird matchup for the Sixers because athletically they can expose us a lot. There's a lot of things that they can do offensively with pull-up jumpers, running pick and roll, having Rob Williams as a lob threat if he's healthy, spacing the floor with Al Horford. That It's just going to give the Sixers problems. So I think trying to get as many 3 and D playable wings, like I want to corner the market on this because basically what Tobias became last year once we got James Harden, once he eased into his role, was like a super Jay Crowder type. So like having Crowder, having Tucker, having Tobias, having guys who are willing three-point shooters who will try their ass off on defense and can all bring something to the table defensively. I didn't even know that about the steal rate thing that you just said, but that's huge because I think one of the ideas behind losing Matisse Thibel is that you have you would have Melton kind of fitting into the role that Thibel was in but having more offensive viability and you need as many guys as possible to get the team out running because right now you, you, you went into this off season and you tried to get as many defense first guys that can generate turnovers that can get the team out running because we think, we think the offense if James Harden is, is somewhat normal is going to be totally fine in the half court. It's the transition game where you have Tyrese Maxey out running, even Montrez Harrell, just get the team kind of going in transition to get them kind of getting back to more of a fast play style so that they can hit you in a, in a multitude of ways to kind of attack uh, the other team and, and make this offense truly unstoppable. I feel like Crowder, if he's he, he's up there steal rates wise, defensively, if he can end possessions with rebounds, if he's, you know, I, like you said, he's not a great offensive rebounder, but that's why you got P.J. Tucker. That's why you got Montrez Harrell. That's why you got D'Anthony Melton. You got them to cover those areas and then have guys who can shoot and defend and once again, corner the market. Like these guys don't become available that often. Like there's a reason why Tucker and Crowder are always these hot commodities when they're free agents because you can acquire OG Ananobi. You can acquire Michael Bridges. You can acquire these guys who are in this mold of three and D player because it, they've become like the most desirable skill to have for a role player. Basically, anyone who isn't a star. Yeah, absolutely. It, um, you mentioned Boston. Like uh, Milwaukee's got a couple of good big wings as well that need that we need to defend. So they exactly. You know, two favourites in the conference, so we've got to be able to, um, you know, throw people at them. And I, I also think there's part of it that's like, there's a, I, I think PJ Tucker will be fine. I talked myself into that signing because I have psychosis, but um, the, uh, the thing about PJ Tucker is like, there's at least a five percent chance, at least I right, let's say a twenty percent chance that he's just not the same guy anymore. And, like, if P.J. Tucker isn't the same guy, then having a guy like Crowder who can capably fill in for Tucker and maybe move him to a smaller role, 
Because people, a lot of people were saying, like, one of the reasons why Jay Crowder wants out, like, the actual reason why Jay Crowder wants out of Phoenix is because they're going to start Cam Johnson next year, which makes sense. I mean, Cam Johnson's going into a contract year. You kind of want to see what you have with him. I think he gives you a lot more offensive versatility. Um, I think that he will be able to, you know, that just spacing the floor with Cam Johnson and Michael Bridges is going to be great for Devin Booker and Chris Paul's games. And I do think that I understand why they're doing that. But if Crowder is so upset over that, that means he's probably going to need to start on his next team. So any team he gets traded to, the expectation there, because his representation and him are looking for a trade. So they're talking with these teams and they're saying, hey, are we going to be able to start? Because I'm not leaving this team to then go to another team and be a bit player, to be a, a bench player. So if that is the case, then my idea behind this was you can't bench Tobias. Doc would never bench Tobias. They pay him way too much money. If they ever have hopes, and by the way, also the way that Tobias played at the end of the last year, he shouldn't have been benched. But in addition to that, the way that he gets paid and the idea behind the fact that you want to move his contract potentially a year from now, or maybe even at the deadline if you get lucky enough, then... The idea of benching him just makes no sense because it will bring down his value, all that stuff. Tucker's the one guy where I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong here, am I misremembering this, but did he not come off the bench a little bit for the Bucks in that in that run or did he start the whole time? Because I feel like maybe I'm misremembering uh, well, I, this, but he feels like the kind of guy who sure. would be open, he would be open to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is... 37 years old and like we just need him for 24 minutes uh, a game for the regular season or whatever to nurse him through like I think it would fit better so you would if you have Crowder starting at the three Harris at the four and then you would have Tucker as your backup four or five and um, and then House as your three perhaps but yeah Tucker might accept that as long as he's finishing the games that matter or whatever um, situation dependent but yeah, I think yeah, one reason is the um, the role and the starting, but I think another reason was maybe Phoenix didn't want to commit to an extension to him. So, so that's uh, you know that's another issue as well. So all these guys that are coming to the end of their contract, that like he's eligible for an extension, but uh, the veterans can only get a twenty percent raise on their current salary. So what he's earning now, if he got a twenty percent raise. Um, would bring him up to like 12.2 million starting salary, which is over the the mid projected mid level exception for next year. So, you know, he's not going to get a, a cap space team chasing him because all the cap space teams are generally bad teams. You know, so um, looking for younger players. So, so like his best case scenario probably in the off season is either re-signing with his current team or getting the full mid level and. You know, Tucker was the only guy in the whole league that got the full mid level exception this summer. So, you know, oh, I didn't even realize that. Given okay. out, so. Well, look, Daryl Morey yeah, has proven so, he de- he doesn't care. He'll give he gave PJ Tucker on his deathbed the three year mid level exception. So, <laughs> Jake yeah. Crowder's what thirty two. He's like a he's like a spring chicken yeah. in comparison. He is, yeah. So, um, you know, if I was in the Sixers. Um, See, I would be, you know, in back channeling and let his agent know that yeah, we'll uh, 
we'll do an extended trade and, and you know, give you 12.2 next year and maybe uh, you do a two-year or three-year extension with one-year non-guaranteed or something. But um, maybe that was the reason. It was money as opposed to role or both. But, yeah, I think you could start Crowder for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's not like Depending the Phoenix... Health. It's not like the Phoenix Suns to cheap out and not give guys money, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you, so moving into kind of what the actual trade would look like if the Sixers were interested in this, because the, there's been some mixed stuff out there. You know, Paul Hudrick, um, uh, not, there has been no f- like firm reporting. I'm assuming we'll get the Sham Sharania report at some point today regarding the teams that are interested, the teams that he's interested in going to the teams that he liked. Like I jokingly tweeted last night was like, Jay, please just like a picture of you in a Sixers Jersey. Cause he liked the Miami heat one. He liked the Dallas Mavericks one. I just need one thing where he likes the him in a Sixers Jersey. And Right now, we're still waiting. Paul Hudrick from Liberty Ballers, who has been generally very accurate. Paul's great, has been very accurate, did report that the team is not interested. But also, it is a little bit weird to me that the team is hyping up Matisse Seibel at the same time. Like, going into training, like, because we get the Keith... As as our boy Keith Pompey does a lot, he 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 does some some legwork for the front office, and he says, you know, Daryl Morey's like Matisse worked hard. He worked out with Damian Lillard on his shot, and he worked out with Demar Derozan on his handle, and he's been in the gym and he's been working. And I'm like, great, first time in his four year career that he's actually trying. Congratulations. So you have Thibault. Thibel in there actually working on his game, the team hyping that up. And if this is true, okay, maybe it's just true. Maybe it is whatever. But we've also heard reports that they've shopped him from Jake Fisher to every single team in the NBA. They have made a phone call to say, hey, what would you do to get Matisse Thibel, who's also up for an extension, by the way. So do you think that the Thibel hyping was maybe not even necessarily for this trade, but just for a trade potentially in the in the coming weeks and, and months? Well, it certainly wouldn't hurt, you know. So, yeah, um, that maybe he is looking maybe he is looking good, but you know he needs to needs to improve. But yeah, he was he's the obvious one that's going to be. You know, we don't have many assets like um, I saw you mentioning in the Discord about you know it's next to impossible for us to trade a for the Sixers to trade a first round pick with the protections that are on the 25 and 27 pick but um, um, yeah the Sixers need to give up if they were getting crowded they need to give up 8.1 million so um, you know the the big salaries there are, are Korkmaz uh, 5 and you know 4.4 for Thibault so that would get you there with the two players other than that you know we're excluding all the big guys we obviously can't trade Melton um and and our starters and all, all of that stuff so we're just uh, pretending that's not even an option but um yeah outside of including Thibel and, and Korkmaz it'd have to be a minimum of a three-player trade from from uh the Sixers end so um who, yeah who's the assets you know is, is Thibel the asset or is it um Beeble Paul um I sent out a bit of a uh, 
a poll on Twitter, and I think uh, 60% of the people said they wouldn't give up uh, B-Ball Paul and uh, and Thibault for um, for Crowder. But, um, uh, yeah, that's where we're at at the moment. So, Well, I think it was interesting you brought that up because – I, I, I think the uh, the recent news that came out about the Bojan Bogdanovic trade was that it eventually fell through because the Suns wanted Jared Vanderbilt in addition to Bojan Bogdanovic. So they were like, yeah, we'll give you a first round pick for Bojan, but also we got to get back Vanderbilt. And the Jazz were basically like, we'll take an old white guy that I drafted and Saban Lee over getting uh, the 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 Suns package that was just a first round pick for two players that they, they coveted. But I, the reason I bring that up is because Jared Vanderbilt is kind of in a similar mold of player to Paul Reed in terms of like they're you know, they can play the four and the five off, you know, offensively, Paul Reed's better defensively. Vanderbilt's a little bit better. Um, I think that what the Suns are probably looking for is they're probably trying to get back as many young guys as they possibly can get. They're very old in terms of Chris Paul, Jay Crowder, like whatever. They probably want to pivot a little bit to to build around that, whatever happens with Aiton, but the Bridges, Booker, potentially Aiton core, unless that goes weird, which it already has started to. And I, I actually think, besides the fact that they could create a, an entire lineup of former Sixers, if they trade for Corkmoss and Thibault, which would be incredibly appealing, I, I would imagine, to Monty Williams there. Um, because uh, right now they already have Bridges, Shamit, and Sarich. So my whole thing on this is like, I first off, I don't think I would include Paul Reed because I look at it like this. If you have to give up Paul Reed and Thibault, you're completely locked in. Now, once again... You're going to be locked in either way, basically, because you got to look at it like they're not going to have salaries to send out to ma- to match in trades if they trade for Crowder, unless they're willing to move off of one of the guys that they just acquired, whether it's Tucker, Melton, or Crowder. But that's probably not going to happen. Generally speaking, you don't sign a guy or trade for a guy and then trade him before the deadline, especially positive players. But the thing with Paul Reed is like, I, I still see potential in him to become a... Maybe it's not on the Sixers, but I think that other teams around the league could see the potential in him. He won the G League MVP, was a solid rotation player in his second season on a playoff team, played capably in the playoffs. You know, the fouling's an issue, as we all know. Defensively, I think he has a lot of versatility. Defensively, I think he can bring a lot to the table. And offensively, I think his game will only get better on that side. We don't know about the shot, but I think everything else will kind of round into form for him. And and at worst case scenario, I think he'll be a solid, versatile backup big. And I think that's a valuable thing to have in the modern NBA. But my whole point on this is like, the reason why I wouldn't is because it's a possibility Crowder gets traded to another team or Crowder gets traded to your team. You can't come to an agreement on an extension. And then he's a free agent at the end of the year. And at least with Reed and Thibel, and one of the reasons why I think Reed and Thibel could be potentially appealing to other teams is because they are restricted free agents after this upcoming season. I, I'm remembering that correctly about Paul Reed, right? Because he he did the, you know better with this, this rookie deal stuff, but he did the three-year second round pick contract, which I believe means he would be yeah. a restricted free agent after this upcoming season, right? Yes, I believe that. So I'll just check that out 
now, but I'm I'm 90% sure that's right. So my whole thing on this is like the restricted free agents rights, the, the opportunity to match a contract in free agency would be incredibly appealing if I'm another team, if I am interested in acquiring either of these players. I'm not just going to lose them for nothing. Worst case scenario, we can find a sign and trade if some other team wants to overpay them and we're not willing to match and all of that stuff. So I guess my two questions for you is, one, do you think Thibel is good enough to be the main guy? If it's just Thibel and Korkmaz, let's leave Paul Reed out of this. If it's just Thibel and Korkmaz, one, is Thibel good enough to be the main guy in a Jay Crowder uh, trade? And then two, is Furkan Korkmaz having that second year on his contract make it so that the Phoenix Suns say, you know what, I, I think we'd rather just try to get some expiring salaries and figure it out later from another team. Yeah, look, that's, um, if Korkmaz was expiring, I think that would be a lot easier, but mm-hmm. you can counter that by, you could have Niang and Isaiah Joe and guarantee half his contract or something and get, you know, expirings that way. But um, it really, dep- in terms of Thibault being the centerpiece, it depends on what the other teams are offering and, and it's not clear what's going to be the deal for for him, you know, like this guy's like, is it going to be Kobe White or uh, Kelly Oubre or, you know, something like that? What are, what are we competing with? So, um, yeah, that is, it's interesting. But like having for the Suns, if they had Thibel, so as soon as Michael Bridges comes off the court, they have Thibel on the court. They've, you know, they've always got a good 2-3 defender, which is would be pretty useful, I would imagine. But uh, if, we, if the Sixers have to throw in a one or two second round picks, maybe, or uh, they can take their pick about, we're going to have to cut a couple of guys anyway. So they can, they might see something in Basti or Joe or, and, you know, you could throw them in also. Yeah. I guess that's the thing is if, if you, if you don't include Cork Moss or if you one one of the things you've brought up uh, over and over again is this idea of a consolidation trade, which is essentially the Sixers have 17 players on their roster right now, so two of them will be gone no matter what. Right now, if, if as it stands, we would imagine it's Charles Bassey is gone because we signed Montrez Harrell. I would imagine he's the odd man out in the center rotation. And then, because he, he only has 75000 guaranteed, as you and Brian uh, Toporek have brought up to me. And then there's also the, the fact that you have... You have to choose between Trevlin Queen and Isaiah Joe. Now, Sixers fans, we all would choose Isaiah Joe. We all see the potential in him as a movement shooter, as a guy who can be maybe an eighth or ninth man on a good team and be an effective player, uh, especially when, you know, it is tough because he can only play the two. He's not quite big enough to play the three, but maybe you could figure out some lineups where he's playing the two with Melton at the three and you're going a little bit smaller and you're trying to figure that out. But Trevlin Queen seems like, you know, he he looked great in his first game at Summer League. And we were like, wow, I really see something with this guy. And then he struggled. And it's like he's 25 years old. Isaiah Joe's younger. I know the fact that J- Queen has that guarantee on his contract does make it a little bit weird. Because he has 300000 guaranteed and Isaiah Joe's fully non-guaranteed, right? That's right, yeah. Yeah, so that makes it a little bit tough because then you're looking at it like, okay, are we going to give this guy $300,000 to walk when Isaiah Joe might not play anyway? 
and we can let him go. But 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 as you said, like a consolidation trade is something that will probably happen at some point, or they'll just cut two of these guys. So it's one one of the two. And the thing with Jake, the Jay Crowder move is that like you said, like look around the NBA right now. We're at the point of the offseason where this is not when you want to trade guys. Everyone tricks themselves into thinking their team is great. Their offseason moves were fantastic. Everyone is there. A half of the league isn't even tradable because they were just acquired via trade or free agency, or they were just drafted and they signed their contracts. Like this is not a good time to trade guys. So as you said, like the best quote unquote assets or, or guys that you might be able to acquire are the Kobe whites who like, I, I personally think that like, I mean, I'm lower on Thibel than most people, but I'd probably still take Thibel over Kobe White just because like Kobe hasn't really done anything so far in his career. Like you never know what you're going to get. You have to pay him pretty much right away. Uh, and also like, is is a bench guard that much of a need for the Suns? They already have Shamit. They already have campaign. Like, I don't think Kobe White's much better than those guys. And then you have like Kelly Oubre and like they've already done the Kelly Oubre experience. And I think every team that trades Kelly Oubre ends up being happy that they traded Kelly Oubre, which gets us into like the Heat and the Mavs and the teams that have been like suspected as like pursuers and and, and guys that uh, teams that Crowder has expressed interest in playing for, right? The Heat one is interesting to me because they have virtually no tradable contracts. Like, if you look at their roster, it's like Kyle Lowry on a near max. Jimmy Butler, obviously, you're not going to trade him. Bam Adebayo, obviously, you're not going to trade him. They're all on max contracts. And then that leaves only one real tradable contract. And it's not a tradable contract because of its length and amount. And that's Duncan Robinson. So Duncan Robinson makes $18 million a year. Like, we were joking in the Discord yesterday. Someone was like, what does Duncan Robinson have left? Two years? I was like, he has four years left on his contract, and he just got benched in the playoffs got got was being played out of the rotation by Max Struess like their real tradable guys are like Gabe Vincent who makes no money Max Struess who makes no money there's n- almost no way they can get to that number because they can't even train d- trade Dwayne Dedman because they just re-signed him so like if the Heat are involved in this trade they would have to move off Robinson and incentivize the Suns to take on that contract and why would the Suns do that no I can't see any way the Suns would do it. It'd have to be a third team, I'd imagine. But um, unless, of course, the Suns are, you know, getting rid of campaign and Sharich or whatever, but they're not going to want to have that long contract, you know. And, you know, the normal suspects for something like that is the rebuilding teams. But Utah basically said they don't want any long-term salary as well, which exactly. is the reason why that, like they got so little for, for Boyan, I thought. Um, there, there would have been other opportunities if they were willing to take on some money, you know, from Mavericks would be one. That's a, that's another another story. But yeah, Miami, I just can't see any way it would happen. Like, I'm sure he wants to be there because you get the starting job. Um, and that was a, the tweet you mentioned. The, he liked a tweet uh, leaking into the Miami Heat earlier in the off season, which, you know, one of the things that got me thinking that this could happen, that he wanted to opt out. But um yeah, I just can't see it happening at all. Well, like every team you look at and you go, oh, Jay Crowder might be a nice fit Nice fit there. Oh, he might be nice with the Portland Trailblazers. It's like, well, the Trailblazers aren't going to give up 
Josh Hart, who they just acquired, they're not going to give up uh, anyone that they, they can't give up guys who they just acquired via trade and free agency. Like there's plenty of teams like the Heat and the Blazers and all these teams where he would fit great. Sure, the Lakers, they, they don't have what it takes to get even a, a, a solid starter like Jay Crowder, not a world-changing player, just like kind of a guy, like kind of a good playable guy in the playoffs. And someone who, look, the shot comes and goes. He's not the most reliable shooter in the world, but he's willing to put up those shots. He's he, he's able to defend those bigger wings, as we said. And because of that, like you have to give up something. And I really have thought about it, and I've been trying. Maybe there's some team. It's just like, like when the Pistons traded for Bojan, we were all like, wait, what? <laughs> like, like, th- like there might be a team out there that just like we're not even thinking of at all, like the Washington Wizards or the whoever it is that might just like sweep in, get Jay Crowder, or give him a starting role, and he's happy. Like another team I thought of where I felt I felt like he would be a great fit is like the Denver Nuggets, but like the Nuggets just brought in Bruce Brown, they just brought in Contavious Caldwell Pope. They really don't have any tradable salaries. Like you're not going to give up anyone in your rotation to get Jay Crowder. Like there's plenty of guys. There's plenty of teams that could potentially be interested in acquiring Jay Crowder. But like, I really do think that the Sixers from a salary standpoint, from a, uh, from a, just like actually having a few young guys that might be appealing to the Suns, standpoint like Thibel might be the best rotation player you can get even if he has his playoff struggles he's a valuable regular season player as you said having having a wing rotation of Brit at the three the two the two three potentially of Bridges and Thibel defensively could be a nightmare for teams I think even if those two played together you have uh, Bridges on ball a little bit more you have Thibel off the ball like I think that that could be a kind of a, a wrecking shot uh crew right there and then you have like someone just someone just uh announced or had commented on here jay crowder to the kings which is something that i've heard people float around because harrison barnes is a guy that is a free agent after this upcoming season but the thing i keep saying about that is like once again jay crowder gets to pick the team that he goes to i would imagine the sixers if they are interested are on the short list of teams that he would be interested in going to I don't think he's itching to go to the Sacramento Kings. And why would the Kings give up anything of value to to get a guy who could just walk in free agency in less than a year? Yeah, that's um, – I can't see – if the uh, Kings trade happened um, with, say, Barnes going to, to, to the Suns, Crowder and Sarich to the Kings, maybe you could reroute Crowder to – somewhere like the Sixers or something like that in the three-team trade. And Thibault goes back to Sacramento or something like that. But I think that's more likely is the Suns trying to do what they tried to do with the Boyan trade and add assets to try to upgrade, you know, so the Harrison Barnes. So they add Crowder plus a first-round pick to try to get Harrison Barnes or, or they do something like try to get Eric Gordon. You know, they might send... Um, Crowder and um, and Shamit for Eric Gordon and KJ Martin or something to Houston. And then, you know, Crowder would then be, you know, routed, routed to a third team for some younger assets or draft picks or something, you know. So, because um, Gordon's a guy sitting out there, he'd be a good three-guard rotation with Chris Paul and, and Devin Booker, I guess. But, uh, um, yeah, I think 
sounds like the Suns want to get better. Um, that's according to your man, Brian Windhorst, um, recently. <laughs> Shit. So All right. So the, so, so the Thibel trade goes out the window is what you're telling me, if they're trying to get better. <laughs> Maybe the one-on-one trade but uh yeah, it could be a generated three team opportunity for for the Sixers. yeah and and look i i think one of the reasons why the sixers might shy away from getting crowder right now is kind of well first off if we get crowder right now i am i do fear for my content i'll say that's the most important thing because as as you know as a listener of the podcast all I do is talk about the, hey, how are we going to, like, the, we've spent almost 40 minutes talking about the fifth best player on a team for, uh, like, a, like, we need to have these conversations up through the trade deadline. And if they trade for Crowder, once again, they're pretty much locked into this roster. And I do wonder, I'm not even like, like but in all seriousness, like, I wonder if they look at Thibel and they look at Paul Reed, and they look at these guys who they, they could have to potentially move off of to acquire a guy like Jay Crowder, and they say, we want to keep our powder dry. We want to use these last guys, like because we haven't even gotten a chance to see this team play. What if we get into the regular season and we notice there's a weakness for we need a bent shot creator, or we need someone who, and someone becomes available that we're interested in, potentially to do some sort of trade that's different. And now we've given up two of the last guys that we could potentially move to get, to upgrade the roster. Because if you get Crowder, like Crowder is not going to be movable if we extend him. Uh, and then even if he is, even if we get up to like January or whatever, and you can move him or February, like the idea is that there, there could be a team that blows it up mid season. They're looking to rebuild and they could be interested in Paul Reed they could be interested in Thibel. And then you got rid of the last two kind of like ideal young guys that you could move to make an all-in type trade. So I think that is a factor if the Sixers really are not interested, if, if we are to believe that Paul Hudrick report. And your your whole thing on this has basically been like, th- there has to be a consolidation trade either in the next week, or there has to be some other moves out there that they could potentially make in season that could improve the roster um, if they are looking to move and make, make one more last in all in push. So why don't we talk about a few of those moving off the Jay Crowder stuff? I think we've talked enough just about once again, the fifth best player on a team uh, for 40 minutes. So who are some other guys that you would be, uh, it can be ideas you've had. It can be like things that have been shot down by people. It can be whatever, like, are there any consolidation trades or moves that the Sixers could make to maybe get another guy in the rotation that makes a little bit more sense than what we have right now. Um, yeah, well, there's um, there's a couple like the the three guys that, that were on my list at the start of the offseason were Crowder, um, Reggie Bullock's another one, although he played a sort of key role in uh, what the Mavericks did in the playoffs. But now they've got um, Tim Hardaway Jr. back, um, Dorian Finney-Smith. Um, and if uh, Christian Wood's going to play some of the four, you know, they start to get a bit of a stacked rotation and they were, you know, they might be fishing around for, a, for an upgrade as well. Like if, if they, if they want um, something like Mike Conley to, you know, play the, um, 
play the role vacated by Brunson, then you know someone's got to go out as matching salary, and maybe Bullock could be one that's available um, along with Dwight Powell or something like that as matching salary, and you can swoop in and and take Bullock um, and Thibault can go to the the Jazz or something like that. But um, so yeah, Bullock's a guy that basically makes the same money as Crowder. He's more of a three two rather than a you know a four three but um good defender good off ball shooter yeah you know, i'm sort of i'll exactly say this much i'm i'm just hoping that that the mavericks are a disaster this season and they say to themselves we need to get younger we need to get as much as many young players and draft picks as possible because this iteration of this team is not working and if this iteration of this team does not work we need to figure out a way to rebuild around luca before he starts to look around and go what the fuck's going on? So if Bullock, I'm skeptical that Bullock could become available just because of all the things you mentioned. I think he is still an important, like the idea of what they want to build there is that three and D type, the Dorian Finney-Smith, the Maxi Kleba, the Reggie Bullock types around him. But like if Josh, your fellow Australian, Josh Green makes a leap, like could we potentially get a Reggie Bullock if the team is struggling this season like I'm praying for that because like we talk about Crowder I talk myself into Tucker I talk myself into uh Daniel House I talk myself into all the guys we got but like the real last perfect guy that if we're only able to acquire a role player obviously and this isn't like some crazy star trade or some some wild swing for the fences type move Reggie Bullock is really the perfect fit and that's why I was very disappointed when his friends fucked us over and pretended like he was coming to the Sixers. I was like, can you, like, I really do think that even more so than Jay Crowder, Reggie Bullock would be the perfect role player that you could just plug in and play on this team. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. They were, they were the two standouts and I was toggling between the two as to who was my first choice. Um, Yeah. If we can get it. Fantastic. Um, but yeah, other than those two, like the, the next guy is Alec Burks. And he is one that is on the borderline for me in, as well, whether I'd give up Thibel or not. Um, he's a good shooter. Um, you know, could play a little bit of three, mainly a two. I was out of position in New York playing point guard a lot. But, you know, he he's an adequate sort of bench two, three. Um, so... Reggie Bullock liked, you know, he shot 40 odd percent from, from three point line. He was very ordinary finishing at the rim last season, but you know, he used to, used to get to the free throw line quite a bit and didn't seem like he'd really liked playing in Philly, which is a bit of a concern, but. um, (laughs) Different times, different um, vibes, very different vibes than what we have now. So, and also different coach, different front office. Like I wouldn't, the only thing, the only guys left are Tobias and Embiid at that point. So like I, I don't I actually weirdly enough like from everything I heard Alec Burks was defensively pretty good for the Knicks I think that like you said he was a little bit overextended in that point guard role but like if he's your bench shot creator I think he's a perfectly adequate bench six man seventh man whatever um I don't think I'd give up Thibault for him just even which is weird to say as everyone knows that listens to the podcast I'm not high on Thibault but like if there is a, a small, tiny chance that Thibault can even bump his percentage up to where he was shooting-wise to his rookie season, 
where he's at like 34% on medium volume from three per per 36. I think that having another defensive wing that might be able to have a small percentage chance to survive offensively is a better fit with this roster because you have Harden, because you have Maxi, because you have Embiid, because you have Tobias already to cover a lot of the shot creation stuff that Bur- and Burks is an efficient scorer. You know, once again, he's terrible at finishing, but he's a decent mid range shooter. He can shoot pull up threes. He can get to the line when he needs to. Like he's not a terrible option as a shot creator. I just feel like I'd rather take my chances on a three and D wing, or at least like. And I think that Thibault will probably never get there with the three element of that. But I think defensively playing spot minutes in the playoffs, you're hoping that Melton and Tucker and House can cover the rest of the minutes. Uh, I think I'd probably just stick with that. And like, how much, like, here's the thing. Alec Burks is better than Shake Milton, but like, is he that much better than Shake Milton that like, we know that he can, you know, we're going to pay him $10 million more a year, get rid of Matisse Thibel. And, uh, you know, in once you get to the playoffs, like, you know, Shake is inconsistent, but Shake's had some, some really good playoff games. Even this year in the Hawks series, like, I think that Shake might be a guy that like, if you're really starved for that bent shot creation, he might be able to fill a little bit of the the niche that you could get from Alec Burks and just makes a lot less money, is younger, doesn't have the injury record, and you don't have to give up anything to get him. Yeah, no, that's very fair. And like at the start of the offseason after Noel and Burks got traded to, to Detroit in that um, salary, salary dump, you know, I assumed, oh, they're going to just flip him for whatever. And they said, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll keep him. We, we like these guys. We want to play them. And I was like, okay, sure. But, um, Detroit they, is, they Detroit trade... really seems like they have no idea what they're doing, and I love it. Yeah. And then they like, traded sure. for Boyan. I was like, okay, well, maybe they're going to be good. They're, they're, you know, it's um, it's good to have a couple of guys around. Sure. Um, for your young guys. And, and and the young guys, so they'll, they'll be bad, but they'll be – at least they'll have some spacing around them, so – it seems like they want to hold on to Burke, so you know, I wouldn't be too excited about that. But all the other guys that could be available, I don't think I'd give up Thibel for, which shows how you know poor the options are. You know, you've got some guys that are like inefficient offense, no defense guys like Kelly Oubre and Terence Ross, and um, my guy Terence yeah. Ross. Yeah, thirty percent three point shooter last season. <laughs> Oof. But yeah. well, pe- well, people but, um, will point to the fact that he takes really hard threes, and that that he's actually a good three point shooter when he's open. And I was like, well, why is he taking a ton of really hard threes? That sounds like he's a he has terrible shot selection. So he's like uh, Dylan Brooks light. Yeah, Dylan Brooks, <laughs> if he was horrible defensively, <laughs> sounds like he shouldn't yeah. be in the NBA to me. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, all the other guys like um, going down a level on holiday, but I would only be giving up like um, Corkmaz and Joe or a couple of second rounders or something. But um, Atlanta are, are trying to get under the tax, I feel. So they're only a couple exactly. of million over. So um, if they can shed a bit of salary, um, I don't really want to eat. Mo Harkless's contract, but whether Corkmaz and um, and George Niang get you to Holiday and uh, and Harkless, I don't know. 
There's a few teams out there where we just kind of have to hope that their season goes off the rails for these kind of moves to happen. I'm not saying like Atlanta, I'm not saying that Atlanta is 100% like they have to be a disaster, but like if it's pretty clear that they're not contenders by mid season, which I don't think they will be, I think that ownership is going to be like, all right, we have so many young guys already. Like our best players are all 26 and under. Uh, you know, Clint Capella is really the only like older guy in their rotation. Let's see what some moves we can make to kind of Justin Holiday's going into the last year of his deal. Justin Holiday is a guy that's interesting to me. Uh, the only thing that concerns me about Justin Holiday, I know he has played small forward, and we've talked about this before. He's really more of a, a two. It's 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 kind of the same problem with Isaiah Joe, where like he might be a little bit too small to play the position that we would need him to play. And if that is the case, then you're kind of like putting in assets to get a guy that is not necessarily exactly what you need. We're like, we're talking about, uh, you know, Reggie Bullock who can play the three. We're talking about Jay Crowder who at least theoretically could play the three. I wonder if Justin Holiday's big enough to play the three when it really matters in the playoffs. Um, I actually Justin Holiday's a guy that I've liked for a while. If if I actually think there are two guys that I think that they're probably the closest I would get to like I might put Thibel in if Thibel comes out this season and proves that he has just like all of this is just smoke and mirrors. He's not he's not on his ball don't stop working on his handle and his three-point shot. He's just like he's the same guy. If if Thibel comes out and he's the same guy then I'm moving to the tier of like, yes, I trade him for Justin Holiday. Yes, I trade him for Tory Craig. Like, I'm getting to the point with this guy where he's going to be a free agent, and at least Holiday and Craig have proven in the past that they can be viable playoff rotation players. And the thing with Holiday is like, I prob once again, it's kind of similar to the Alec Burks thing where it's like, can you maybe you should just like invest in Isaiah Joe and he can eventually become Justin Holiday? Like that would be more ideal to me. But at the same time, like Holiday's what thirty one years old. Like you can like Doc's gonna Doc's gonna love to get another guy over thirty. You you can plug him into the rotation pretty much right away. He can shoot a little bit off movement. He's a high volume three point shooter. He can defend capably like Holiday, Craig, a little bit less so. I think offensively he's really limited, but defensively you can throw him in for spot minutes as well. And he might not kill you as much offensively as Thibel can when he's shooting like fucking 20% from three or whatever he shot in the playoffs. So I I think that I think that those are the guys that I'm getting into that tier where I'm like, I might trade them for Thibel, but like that's really only if Thibel comes out and he's just the same exact guy this year. Yeah, no, I yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, so it's yeah, I would just yeah take the punt on Thibel at this point and see if he can improve and improve his value um, because yeah, you're not not losing much. We've still got you know these guys are only just marginally better than Daniel House if if not at all. So we've already got a guy there that's adequate enough. And maybe Melton can play. Maybe Melton can play up. Like there, there's at least a possibility that he can play some of the three. Maybe I've just talked myself into that, but like, I know for a fact that he did, he did this with some smaller lineups in Memphis last year, and they were always better when he was on the court. Like it was pretty much like he was one of their best players in terms of on off. Like 
I think Milton will bring a lot. And once again, like a thought I had was, let's just say, let's go back to the Crowder thing. If they trade, let's just hypothetically say they trade Thibel and Moss, and that's the trade because the uh, the Suns want to take on less money and they like Thibel and they're willing to take on Moss. Then you look at our bench. And yeah, it might be a little bit like uh, four heavy where like we have Tucker, Reed, uh, Niang. Like they have, there's a lot of guys that can play the four on the bench. But to me, if if you start Crowder, which is what you brought up the idea of doing that earlier, where you, you start Crowder and Tobias Harris at the forward positions, then your bench is DeAnthony Melton, PJ Tucker, Montrez Harrell, Daniel House, Paul Reed, George Niang. That's your 11-man rotation. Not even getting to like Shake Milton and like whoever else is left. If you do a consolidation trade, maybe you keep Isaiah Joe or Charles Bassey or whatever. That, to me, is like the best bench in the NBA. Like, you have a former six-man of the year, a very good role player in Tucker, a very good role player in Melton, a, uh, you know, you have Daniel House who has been up and down in his career, but he'd be like your ninth man. George Niang is your 11th man. Paul Reed is your project four five off the bench. Like I feel like that's the immediately the Sixers are already they've improved their bench massively, but I feel like that would make it so that they have the best bench in the NBA, arguably at least. Yeah. Them or the, or the Clippers probably they're very true. Deep, but, um, um, but yeah, it was, it would be the best bench that they've had in ever probably. <laughs> Yeah, our bench um, always sucks. <laughs> yeah, so better than the starting five in the Iverson days. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. If, if you just put, if you put, too. <laughs> if you put, if you if you put Iverson, Mel, all right. So the starting backcourt is Iverson and Melton, Daniel House at the three, Tucker at the four, Montrezl Harrell at the five. That's like a sixty-win team in two thousand one. Better than Tyrone Hill and Aaron McKee and you know George Lynch. <laughs> no, no Eric Eric Snow slander on the podcast though. Sadly, the the, no, the, o- no. the OG po- point god uh, Eric Snow. Yeah, but but yeah, no, it is funny that um, it it is funny that they they would go from being one of the thinnest teams in the NBA to like last year. Like I think even even if they make no moves, even if this is the roster. I said this the other day, like, I think if you take Montrez Harrell, he's the bench player, best bench player on last year's team. I think if you take DeAnthony Melton, he's the best bench player. Daniel House, he's in the conversation for best bench player. Maybe Paul Reed or Thibel are better than him. We'll know. We'll, we'll see this year. But, like, you're adding two. Oh, yeah, no no speedy Claxton slander either. Good point, Ty Ty. That's a, that's a great point. I would never uh, slander the Hofstra legend, speedy Claxton. But... There's there is there like you're you're moving you're putting yourself in a position this upcoming season where you're going to be much much deeper where guys that were not even guys that have been relied on for years that have just proven un, to be unplayable in the playoffs Thibel Cork Moss those guys they're not, they're like on the fringes of the rotation right now which is why I once again think that like the Sixers ceiling as a team is like a sixty win team. 
in the regular season, just because even on nights where you're resting Joel and Harden, they're still going to run eight or nine deep. And Doc has proven that in the past with these deeper teams, he can get these guys like the best out of these guys. Like even when Embiid got hurt last year, we were competing with the Bucks and we were competing with, we beat the Grizzlies. Like they like Doc has proven that like, if you give him a deep regular season team, he's going to win a ton of games with that, with those guys. And if we expect everything that we expect out of Maxi taking the next step, some of these young guys to take the next step, like, I still think Crowder trade or not, this is going to be a very deep, very good regular season team. And that uh, unless there's a complete disaster or the vibes are just incredibly fucked, I, I would imagine that this team is going to win a lot, a lot of regular season games. Yeah, absolutely. And um, the way things are at the moment, like COVID's still around. So depth is so important. Like a guy could get sick for a week and, um, yeah, if you've got these guys behind them that can play, it's you never know when you're going to have that, um, you know, miss a guy for a week through illness or injury. So if that comes to the playoffs, you can still get through a series if you miss a, a couple of key rotation guys. Yeah, exactly. And, and like, I, I think that as we know, with PJ Tucker at his age, on, as I said earlier, on his deathbed, um, we have, uh, Joel Embiid with his injury history, James Harden with his recent um, time slash injury management that they've been doing over the past year or two with him. I think it, it will be extremely beneficial to have a deep team, which is why, once again, I think I'd probably just do whatever it takes. I might draw the line at including Paul Reed, which is funny uh, because he might not even end up being in the rotation this year. But I think that depth is super important. But like, I'd pretty much do anything else that it would take just because they have so few things left to trade uh, that I would probably just make that move for Jay Crowder. We'll see. I Once again, I think that we'll probably get a trade sometime in the next few days. So we'll, we'll learn soon who's interested, whatever. But uh, is there anything else you want to say on that last point before we move on to our last topic? No. Um, just a timeline the Sixers are on. I think they just got to put everything into this the next two seasons and just – just fucking go, you know? So with the, with the way that the it. NBA, the way that the NBA, the way that stars get unhappy and the way that guys age super quick sometimes with the roster that they have right now, I think it would be a very, very bad sign if not now or at the trade deadline, we're not making this all in type push because I have not said it on the podcast but there is a part of me that is worried that if this team underperforms again in the playoffs, like with the, the, as deep as the East is, you have one, you have bad luck or you just have like a bad injury at the wrong time. Like you could be a first round out even as a really good team. Like you could have to face the Cleveland Cavaliers in the first round this year. Like this is not the old Eastern conference. And if that is the case, like there's a world where Joel and B to ask out after the season. So like, if you're not making every single move that you could possibly make to make this team into a contender and you're holding on to guys that have proven that they cannot play in the playoffs, despite maybe potentially having trade value to different teams, then that I think that that would be a critical, critical mistake and could be the downfall of, of this iteration of the Sixers. And like, you just never know the vibes shift so quick. And like, 
Yeah, everything could be great in the regular season. Everything, everyone could be happy. They could win sixty games. You could lose in the first or second round with this deep Eastern Conference, and then you could be right back to where you were. And that's when guys start to look around and do what I was talking about earlier with Luca, where you're like, "What the fuck are we doing here? We can't get past the second round." There's really only there's only like two things left to do after this, which is trade Tobias Harris's expiring contract after the season, fire Doc Rivers. And that's really your 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 lifeboat if if this if this team doesn't work out. You have to at least get to the conference finals, or that's when that's at least when the the clock starts to tick on Joel and Bead thinking about asking for a trade because with his injury history, with his age, he's even in the middle of his prime now for for a big his size with his injury history, like I think by the time he's 30 years old, he's gonna wanna have made a conference finals. And if he hasn't then that's where you, you you start to get concerned with kind of the future of of Embiid on the Sixers and the future of this team. So they better be making all-in type moves and not get conservative. Like that has been one of my main criticisms of Maury. I think what he did this offseason was aggressive. I liked that he was aggressive, but I felt like he, he didn't sell high on Thibault when he could have. I felt like there were some other type moves. They didn't make a, 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 enough of a push at the trade deadline two years ago when they only got George Hill, they didn't re- like, even though their rotation kind of sucked. Um, so yeah, once again, I think this should be the all in year. Uh, but, but, but let's move into the last thing we want to talk about real quickly, which is the Ben Simmons on JJ Reddick's podcast appearance, which if you've listened already, I literally just listened last night. Cause I, I didn't really know what to make of this whole thing. We haven't heard Ben talk in a year and a half, really, in the in public since since Game Seven of the Hawks series when uh, you know he famously passed up the layup. We finally got to hear from him in the JJ Redick interview. Before I give my thoughts on on what I heard in the interview, uh, what did you think of this interview with Ben, and uh, what what did you take from it? Oh, the first thing um, that I thought was it's the first time we've really heard him talk at all about um, apart from being like a robot in, in in interviews after games and things <laughs> like that. So, so at least you got to see some sort of human personality, as uh, as you mentioned earlier. But um, you know, they they spent the first twenty minutes of it uh, buttering him up and saying how good you are and all, all of this sort of stuff. But um, yeah, they, they asked him some high, some semi-hard questions, but um, it was, wasn't a heap of content in there. He did throw some shade at uh, Seth Curry when he mentioned that Kevin Herter went off for 27 or something. That was weird. <laughs> Which is nice. Yeah. Also, yeah, also no like, that. another thing about the Seth Curry thing, did you notice that when he was lifting, listing off his teammates, he didn't include Seth? Yeah. He said... He was like, we got Kevin, we got Royce O'Neal, we got Claxton, we got Kai, we got Patty Mills. He's like, I'm sure there are some other guys I'm forgetting. I'm like, yeah, the guy that you were traded with from the Sixers that's been your teammate for three years and you once again just threw shade at by saying, I was guarding Trey Young. And that 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 was the most revealing part of the interview to me because most of the interview, he was pretty like giving PR friendly episodes or episodes answers. And he was giving kind of, like you said, like they were given, they buttered him up a little bit. They gave him some softballs. They talked him up, whatever. 
but th that part of the interview was very interesting to me because it was kind of the first time that we got to see Ben a little bit like upset, I would say. Because it was that part, and then the part where he talked about the Donovan Mitchell thing, where he was like, it's always everyone coming at me, and then I don't say shit, and then he's like, I'm sick of this shit, basically. But if you go back and you watch the Kevin Herter part of the interview, where he says, like, I was guarding Trey Young, I was guarding the... Which, once again, is an excuse for the lack of offensive development that he's had in his career. And that's the only thing that I've ever really criticized him on, which is, like, he has not committed to improving as an offensive player... And that, and, and most of this came towards the end of the tenure with the Sixers. Like for most of it, I was like, he's still young. He'll get better, whatever. He didn't. And the fact that he's still not taking any, and just basically all, the whole interview is just focusing on like, I'm still really good. I can make any pass. I'm 6'10". I can make any pass defensively. I take a lot of pride in like, like, dude, like not getting better on offense is a massive thing. That is what ultimately sunk the Sixers chances and the the microcosm of that is the layup and once again that was kind of a one play type thing but the fact that when you watch that interview you can see when they talk about the Kevin Herter thing and he's like Kevin Herter's doing whatever Ben's starting to get a little bit angry and then it cuts and it immediately jumps to the next question there was clearly some editing there I I just want to know like I I would pay for the Patreon for JJ Reddick's podcast to hear what Ben Simmons actually said that made them jump to like, I wanted to ask you a question about draft night. I'm like, wait, what the, where the fuck did that come from? <laughs> I just saw the, uh, I didn't watch the video. I just listened to the, the audio pod. So I didn't pick that bit up, but uh, yeah, it was, it was bizarre for him to bring that up in the first place, but uh, maybe he thinks Seth's too close to doc. <laughs> Stay woke. I wonder if they're, I mean, I would imagine that, that Seth and Ben don't have a great relationship anymore, other than the fact that they can bond over being gamers. That is one thing, that they, they have the brotherhood of being gamers. Uh, but uh, the the one the one thing, the Doc relationship thing is, is definitely a question mark. And then also, in addition to that, the fact that, like, I would imagine Seth is not pumped. Like, Seth didn't want, Seth loved Philly. He wanted to settle down here. He bought a house. And then the Ben thing is kind of what ended his tenure here because they had to include him in the trade for the Nets to do the trade. And I wonder if there's a little bit of like bitter, bitter and, and resentment. Actually, the Nets, Seth Curry was the one guy that I thought of where with the Jay Crowder stuff where I was like, maybe, maybe the Nets want to get a little bit bigger. Maybe they want to get another three and D type wing guy. And maybe Seth doesn't really have a place there. Like if Cam Thomas takes another step this year, uh, maybe he's the odd guy out because they have Patty Mills and like their backcourt rotation. I know they have Ben who's technically he's, he's a forward, but like he plays, he can play some guard. Like they'll play him at the guard positions. I do wonder if like their lack of size will make them say like, we got to trade Seth before we have to pay him a lot of money on his next contract and Ben might have some insight to that. And that's why he doesn't mention Seth with the core of the nets moving forward. That was my thought, but that's also my slot brain where like, I'm like, he didn't mention, he didn't mention the fifth best player on the team. So obviously that means that Seth is gone. Seth and Ben hate each other. And that means that it's a J there's a Jay Crowder for Seth Perry trade coming up here in the next few days. <laughs> well, that's hundred percent. That's how it works. But yeah, that, yeah, absolutely. That makes sense for sure. But yeah, so 
And as someone said in the comments, Jonathan just said in the comments, Ben swears that none of us know anything about basketball. It's so fucking true. This whole interview. And once again, I actually, I came out of this interview thinking more anything out of Ben. Like, I didn't think that, like, I don't really think deep down that Ben's like a bad guy or anything. I think he's kind of, uh, he's a bit of an introvert and he can come off as like a cocky asshole sometimes because of that. And also, once again, keep in mind, like, as JJ said in the interview, like Ben 6'10, like from a very young age, they knew that he was going to go to the NBA. They knew that he, like, he was raised to think, like, you're the shit, basically. So I understand where some of that, like, arrogance might come from. But, like, as someone said, the, he, he talks down, like, with when he passed up the layup and he was like, oh, yeah, you guys want to watch film with me? You guys want to get in get in the lab and watch some film? Like you don't know shit about basketball, and it's like I don't know. I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to realize you should fucking shoot a layup when you have a six foot guy on you in the like in in crunch time in a tied game in the playoffs. And that's that's the thing that annoyed me the most about this because once again, I don't really think Ben is a bad guy. I think he's kind of a boring guy. I think he's kind of an introverted guy. I think that he has this weird like mix of like confident and but at the same time like jaded and bitter towards everyone and everything like he like he'll mention something like positive about a guy and then like always throw in like a little like backhanded compliment at some like even Kawhi when he talked about like they were talking about the the shot uh and they were talking about whatever he was like oh yeah he just was a robot like he just like he went into robot mode and it was like it's always like the thing with Ben is that he's just incredibly he's just a confounding person to me because I feel like all of the like he's just constantly contradicting himself throughout this interview. He's constantly kind of saying like, oh, that's basketball. I love basketball, whatever. But then talking down to people who don't understand basketball when it's like it just be and like I understand he was frustrated with Philadelphia and with the media here. I totally get that. The media is a bunch of psychos here. We're like we're all very diseased. I'm now part of this diseased brain media that we have here. But but my whole thing on this is like you can't sit there and act like when we drafted you, people were comparing you to LeBron James. When you were coming up in the ranks, people were saying you're the next great generational prospect. And and for all all things considered. He just, he has had a good career. He's made three all-star teams. He's made defensive teams. He's one of the best on-ball defenders in the NBA. But at the same time, like, I understand whatever you were going through this season. And like, you know, maybe you just didn't want to be here. But like, you you got to expect some criticism based on the expectations for what your career was. You got to expect some criticism based on how things ended in Philly. Like, it comes off as like, Everyone else is wrong and I'm always right. And I'll never have to change because of that. That was my whole thing that I got from this interview is that like he, he really hasn't learned anything about himself or, or anything through this entire experience. Yeah. Like one of the things I've written down here, I like clearly he's a narcissist, you know, he, <laughs> a little he bit. blames everyone. He blames everyone else for, for everything. It's never his fault. So um, yeah, he's always, always been like that. He's very, very hard to gauge, like, um, the background with the Australian team. Like he was, he's always an outsider with all the Australian teams. He's, he's quite unusual for, 
you know, the Aussies. Like you, it was interesting watching Matisse's vlogs um, at the Olympics, and you can see the guys like Paddy Mills and and like Joe Ingalls. Like they, you know, I reckon you could go to and approach Joe Ingalls and Aaron Baines at a pub and say, "Oh, g'day, mate, how you going?" and, and have a chat to them, and they'd be fine. Whereas like Ben Simmons would look at you like he had two heads, like um, they were just messing around and, you know, he just wouldn't fit in. They, they, I think they used to call him the Yank, which is a, <laughs> you know, a derogatory term that we use for Americans. That's, you know? that's so a like, slur. He's just really, it is a slur, a racist slur. So, um, so they, um, he just, Typically, un-Australian is his attitude, you know. So it's a very, very odd guy. But um, yeah, I'm, I was glad he was talking because honestly, um, I had concerns that he might like really go into his shell. He might never play basketball again. Um, obviously, I want to see him playing, but um, I, yeah, it's uh, interesting. He certainly set, dreams, set he the should, bar high for him. Like with this interview, he's coming off like I can't wait to get back out there. Like this team's gonna be basically he kept comparing it to that that team that when Embiid was out, which by the way was another kind of backhanded thing. Like he was talking about how great Joel was as a player throughout the interview, which I'm sure they they he said, let's not talk about Joel because they didn't even mention that, or they did and they cut it out. But um also JJ saying that he threw uh, Joel and Doc threw Ben under the bus after the playoff game, which sure, maybe they did a little bit. I, I, I understand that. But at the same time, like you didn't say that shit in the interview with Joel. Like you're uh, like, I don't know. That just kind of annoyed me because it's like, look, JJ's a very good podcaster. I actually think his, he's very good at what he does. But also like, what is the point of these PR friendly, like handling the interview with kid gloves, like, building up the guy's ego and all that stuff. Like, what is that? What value does that add? Like, to me, it adds no value to anything. I don't think we got any real insights out of this. I don't think we got any real, like, good pieces of content or whatever you want to call it. Like, I think mostly this was just, like, them kind of kissing Ben's ass, making excuses for everything that he's ever done wrong or or not tried to improve on or whatever, and then ultimately you just come out of it on the other end being like, what did I just watch for an hour and 15 minutes? Well, he said he's going to shoot threes. Yeah, sure. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. And then they were making jokes like, well, what am I going to shoot 10 a game? I'll just keep shooting until you don't want me to. And it's like, once again, you're missing the point. Like it's, it was never about shooting threes, dude. It was never about shooting threes. It was about you refusing to ever change anything about your game or, or try to improve. In fact, you regressed on offense and that's what people were upset about. It wasn't about shooting threes. That was the microcosm for why people are upset with you. Like it's just so frustrating that it feels like no matter what, Ben is always right and everyone else is always wrong. And this interview kind of just like them kissing his ass, handling it with kid gloves. Like it just feels like I I understand like every other person, every talking head, they talked about Stephen A. Smith. They talked about Shaq. They talked about Barkley. I understand them going at him like might've been unprofessional. And like, honestly, some of it went a little bit too far, but at the same time, like if you're doing the first interview with a guy in like a year and a half, like, you got to ask some tougher questions. You also like, you can't couch everything with an excuse for him. 
Because there's no way that JJ ever said that to Joel's face about him throwing him under the bus. I just don't like, I, I know that in that interview he didn't. And like the reason why Joel is so respected here, even if he's has his flaws and he's had his struggles in the playoffs and he's not a perfect player or a guy by any means is the fact that we've seen him put in the work. We've seen him want to get better. We've seen him come back from losses in the playoffs as a better player, become an MVP candidate. And that's all everyone ever wanted from Ben. And he still refuses to just like acknowledge that. And, and he just continues to get like, he only does the interview where he knows they're going to kiss his ass. Like to me, I, I was just really, I was upset with the fact that like, we just really didn't get anything out of this interview. Yeah. And that's all we were going to get for the first time. I'd, I'd say he wouldn't have done it otherwise. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. Yeah, he, he he definitely knew going into it, like, hey, we're not going to talk about this. We're not going to talk about that. And, like, I understand that they're friends and, like, you, he doesn't want to come at his friend's neck about everything. And, you want, and also, like, JJ works in the media. He sees how other people protect – or, I'm sorry, don't protect Ben. They, they kind of go – and he feels the need to kind of defend Ben because he knows Ben as a guy and and, and as a friend and as a teammate. But at the same time, my whole thing on this is just, like, I feel like he's learned nothing. I, I do think that, like, I think what's going to happen is I, I've heard people say, like, they still think Ben's never going to play again. I do think he will play, but I also thought he was going to play for the Nets last season, and I was wrong. So who knows? But I do think what's going to happen is, like, and as Mike Chioda said to me, he's like, the Nets are going to be, like, it's going to be, like, January or February, we're going to be decent amount of the season. The Nets are going to be like 18 and three when Kyrie Irving, KD and Ben all play, but they never all play together for an extent. It's literally just going to be the hardened thing all over again. We're like, wow, they're such a deadly team when they can play together. But like due to Ben and Kyrie's off the court stuff due to injuries and stuff, they're just never going to like, what I'm trying to get at here is I feel like the idea of this Nets team and the idea of Ben Simmons on this Nets team and like an improved version of that anti Joel and B or the, the team with the Sixers from 17, 18 without Joel and bead is always going to be better in theory than it is in reality. And I think in the regular season, when healthy, they're going to be good, but like, let's talk again in the playoffs because I, I still just don't, I don't trust any playoff team that has Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving on it with the way that they have, the way that they have kind of flamed out ever since Kyrie was obviously amazing earlier in his career, but the last few years. Yeah. That'd be, uh, no, no one knows how to assess on there. It's just a wait and see, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, what, what can you really do? Like we, we have no idea what this team is going to look like. The East is way better than it was. We have no idea what Ben's going to be like as a player. Like, they kind of brushed, like, they talked about the back injury stuff for a little bit, but, like, if the back injury is real, and he had to have surgery to improve that, like, the track record of 6'10 athletic guys that get back injuries and have had it really, like, he got that first back injury in 2019. Like, he's been, he's been dealing with, if he's been dealing with this for three years, like, to me, that's more concerning than anything else. I think that I'm going to do the disaster rankings episode soon. I can't make up my mind on the Nets, but I feel like they might end up as the 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 most disaster potential of any team in the NBA. I think they're too talented to probably get there. Like, I still think that they'll have... It will be kind of similar to, like, the 1926ers in a way, where, like, we look back on their se that season and we're like, oh, my God, what a nightmare that was. And then we're like, wait, they actually started the season 5-0, and and they actually 
were the six seed and like one were on pace to win 50 games and stuff. Like I could see that and then them just completely flaming out in the playoffs again and everything's considered a big disaster. Yeah. Very, very possible. So anything else on the JJ Redick Ben Simmons interview before we get out of here? No, um, I've got nothing else. You know, it was, it was what it was, but. I guess my last question for you is, how long have you been a Sixers fan, Jason? Uh, probably since the process started, you know? Was, okay, so um, you were pre-Ben Simmons. Yes, definitely. Yeah, so so I really got on board with the process. Uh, I grew up as a probably as a Bulls fan and then just a general NBA fan. Um, but, yeah, I was looking for, for a team and um, – I uh, leaned towards the Sixers with the process. That's what I, um, when I played 2K, the, the sort of rebuilds I used to do, just trade everyone and get the draft <laughs> picks. I thought that was a pretty cool idea. And now I'm just this full, full sicko, like, uh, you know, addicted to it. But, um, yeah, that, that's probably, how long ago is that now? Nine years or something? Yeah, I mean, it has been, yeah, it's been nine years since the process started. 2013 NBA draft was kind of what everything kicked off, the trading of Drew Holiday, the resetting of the team there. No, it is funny that we ended up drafting two Australian players after, because a lot of the, a lot of, and so what I'm trying to say is, we can blame you for Ben Simmons and Matisse Thibault. (laughs) Well, funny funny story is... um... Um, I tried to name my one of my kids Matisse, but uh, my wife overruled me. Oh well, you're you're probably in, in retrospect, your wife was really smart. It's yeah, it's dodged it's, a bullet there. It's like the the uh, during the game yesterday, someone brought up to me uh, the fact that there's uh, a child that out there named after Carson Wentz uh, from his time with the Philadelphia Eagles. Has not aged well, folks. So your wife might have might have saved you saved you there. But uh, Jason, thank you so much. You guys can follow Jason. I will put his Twitter in the description. You can follow him for great NBA trade stuff, cap stuff, all of that stuff. So Jason, thank you again for coming on. I appreciate it, bro. No worries. Thank you. Peace, bud. See ya.